0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: This week we have James. Hi. And Justin. This week we'll be talking about the Rosetta space mission, which has been in the news recently, specifically with it and its lander, Filet's attempts to land on a comet and that's what we'll be covering this week. Exactly what happened there? What is going to happen potentially in the
0: future? How do you get to this place in the first place? And what exactly we hope to learn about comments. So, Justin, why did the ESA decide to send Rosetta to a comet in the first place?
1: Well, comets have been uh, a long, mysterious objects in the sky since uh, the earliest of times. In fact, uh, once we finally understood what a comet we stopped, stopped fearing them as harbingers of doom and signs of the apocalypse and started wondering exactly how they work. Probably the most famous comet that many of you will be familiar with is Halley's Comet, which has a very regular orbit that we can calculate and was one of the first comets that we really understood, even though its orbit takes quite a long time. Um, and when it arrived into our solar system in 1986, uh, they sent out a few probes to go visit it. Um, most notably, the European Space Agency's Giotto probe. Um, and when they did that, they basically flew near it, flew around it. They have also looked at it with telescopes like Hubble. And they really found that they were, whilst they were performing like they expected, they didn't have a lot of detail about actually what was happening on the surface, what they were made of and what they were doing in trend, as they transformed from frozen lumps of ice into things with glorious tails as they got closer to the sun. So after 1986 in this first probe of Giotto probe, they decided, well look, we need to actually go there properly. And why we want to do that is we want to find out really what is on a comet what exactly makes up this comet and uh, what do they have to tell us about perhaps the ways the the solar system is formed and planets uh, themselves are actually propagated. So there's a lot of things that could be residing in a comet, ice, carbon-based molecules, other interesting things that could be very interesting for life. And that's why we really want to go to a comet find out exactly what makes them up, how they work, so we can better understand not only the solar system but also the history of life on Earth. Going to a comet is a really difficult endeavour, but you might be surprised to learn that the Rosetta space mission has been in the works for more than 10 years. In fact, its journey alone took it 10 years to get from Earth to this wonderful comet. So what exactly happened here, James? Why does it take so long to actually make our way out to a comet?
0: Well, the first um, problem that the Rosetta team had was essentially that the comet that they wanted to target, Comet 46P, you'll notice that that's not the one they ended up going to, Um, had to be abandoned after the carrier rocket they were planning on using failed and exploded when it was carrying up a communications satellite. So this grounded the rocket and meant that they missed the window for the original comet they were going to target.
1: And this is one of the really interesting parts about um, orbital mechanics is that there are certain times where you have to launch because it is the most... Uh, optimum alignment of all the planets so your journey can be easily done as opposed to requiring a lot more fuel and a lot more fuel means a lot more weight which means sacrificing um, potentially more experiment equipment so when they say they miss their window they mean they miss their the best alignment chance to actually reach that comet so what did they do once they lost their alignment window for uh their original plan
0: well well just what they had to do was essentially wait a year and some a year and some number of months to have a good shot the next for the window for another comet so they retargeted to comet 67p which is where rosetta is currently that wasn't the end of their troubles though they had all sorts of fun on the way over with um their maneuvering rockets having a few hiccups not to mention um not to mention their rcs so the stability system of the of the space probe
1: so they had a lot of um mechanical issues as they were going so they designed as best as they could but in the uh The coldness of space, if something goes wrong, you don't really have a chance to fix it. So you just have to keep persevering regardless of all the systems (laughs) you might have failing and all the extra difficulties and obstacles you'll face
0: along the way. So what do they do actually on their journey? Because it's still 10 years is quite a long time. So um, some of you remember back in January, the announcement was made that they'd woken Rosetta up from its hibernation. So a certain portion of its journey, about four years or so, was with the space probe in a hibernation state. So it didn't need to use very much power because it was going a long way away from the sun and the solar panels wouldn't have had enough power to be able to keep it fully operational. So they put it to sleep for the latter part of its journey. But for the first part of its journey, when it was doing multiple slingshots around Earth and then Mars, I think four slingshot, gravity slingshots, so that's when you basically use an approach around a planet to accelerate your spacecraft away from the planet in another direction. So instead of having to fire a rocket to make you go faster, you use gravity instead. And on the way, throughout this process, they came past comets, asteroids, and various other things, and pointed various observational equipment they had on it. So they sort of gathered information about the solar system as they were um, pottering around the place, picking up speed.
1: And that's really interesting. I mean, you think about these, these big space missions as sort of you get to the place and you do the science and that's it. But along the way, if you've got this massive, amazingly expensive vehicle, you may as well get some extra fu- um, science out of it, which is what they did. They, they took photos of asteroids, took samples from a whole different places, took a whole bunch of different measurements um, of all things inside our solar system. So that's, it's really useful that they're actually delivering more than just our, the original mission's purpose for us.
0: And it's, all, and it's often stuff that you don't necessarily think about think about them doing just purely because nobody really seems to mind when they're just cruising around, and yet often that's where some of the most interesting stuff comes out.
1: That's right, and it's also where often the plans for the next set of missions come from. Um, they might identify, okay, well, that asteroid was actually pretty interesting. Maybe you want to, we want to go back there, or maybe you want to focus on it with more more powerful instruments. So these, are, these side missions, as they call them, are actually quite useful for teaching us um, stuff about what we have not really looked at in a lot of detail and helping us plan for perhaps the next phase of expansion and exploration. So when, they, when I woke up from hibernation, what do they have to do to actually, you know, get to the comet?
0: Well, as I'm sure you can imagine, if you're chasing, chasing down this comet at a great rate of knots and the comet is also moving very quickly, if you don't do something, you're going to fly straight past. And this is actually easier than what a lot of previous missions have done with various space objects, is they haven't been able to carry enough fuel to stop and have a look. So they've shot straight past them and taken whatever they can get on the way past. However, Rosetta was designed to actually be able to study this comet in detail. So in about in May this year, it began a series of eight burns to reduce the to reduce the velocity of the spacecraft relative to the comet to something approximating the speed that you might drive at as opposed to a sp- the speed of a rocket. And then they
1: used that to actually lock itself in an orbit around the, the comet itself. So instead of just flying off into the horizon or slingshotting around it, they actually managed to get themselves lined up in the right position and then ultimately um, orbit around the comet.
0: And the way they did that was quite interesting. They used slightly strange bits of orbital mechanics with triangular paths and thrust, very careful thruster burns and that's purely just because what they're trying to get captured by, so they're trying to get into the gravity well of this comet. The comet is quite small and has quite a weak gravitational field, so you need to be a lot more careful and a lot more precise than if you wanted to end up in, say, Earth's orbit or Jupiter's orbit or the Sun's orbit. That's
1: right. I mean, it's quite easy to get uh, to get stuck into Jupiter's orbit. Its job, basically, is to catch everything in the solar system, which is easy to get to. But uh, for a comet that's only... Uh, four kilometres long and, and 4.3 kilometres wide. You know, it's not really, not really got a large gravity or density to really suck you in on. And even even those numbers themselves aren't a lot of space to really make an orbit. Your orbit itself is actually quite small and narrow.
0: Certainly, the the Rosetta is actually orbiting quite close. In fact, probably within our atmosphere in terms radius. And our atmosphere is very, very, very thin.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's it's really fascinating. A lot of high tech orbital mechanics and engine design to actually get yourself into the right position and then trap yourself in the right position for a long period of time.
0: It so, needs a very flexible thruster that can be restarted a great many times, which is something that they used to struggle with quite a lot.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, and a lot of complex calculations. So I've played my fair share of Kerbal to know that it's not easy to align a space probe and what they're doing. So uh, my, my hat goes off to them, purely for managing to get a stable orbit around something so small. So why is having this stable orbit around this comet so useful? Why would we want to hang around and not just fly past it?
0: Well, if you think about what we, what we do when we're studying Earth from space, it's really convenient to be able to have both the point of view of communications, so that's relevant when they're trying to put a lander on the surface, but also for any sort of weather mapping or geological studies that they do from space, it's kind of important that you can sort of drift around at will and have a look at the different bits in considerable detail and over a long time. So given that you know, we already pretty much knew where everything was on Earth before we, sent up, before we sent up space probes, and we know absolutely nothing about the surface of this comet, you can imagine that the mapping that they need to do is actually quite a bit more in-depth than the mapping that we need to do on Earth. If you think about the importance of a lot of satellites that we put around Earth, you can kind of understand why you'd want to have the leisure of time to do it properly.
1: Yeah, that's right, and um, the, and it's not just the phase of the comet is right now because one of the most amazing parts about comets, which is what makes them so interesting, is the fact that they change over time, specifically in their orbit as they hurtle through the solar system. They undergo all kinds of fascinating changes, from being cold, dead chunks of ice to blistering, blazing things that are releasing all kinds of gases and uh, ice that's just melting and vaporizing as it gets really close to the sun. And you want to study both of those. And if you don't stick around, you have to launch two probes. So it just makes sense that once you're there, you just stay around and watch it as it goes through that transformation. Traveling all the way out to the middle of nowhere to hunt this lonesome, solitary creature um, is a bit like Hunting uh, a whale, uh, hunting the great white whale, in such from *Moby Dick*. Um, But there's another connection with that uh, in whales, and that's also harpoons. And so, what was going on with harpoons, whales, and this asteroid, and of course the Rosetta mission?
0: Well, I suppose the other question you have to ask when you're trying to work out how to land on a comet is. Well, it doesn't have very much gravity, as, as we discussed earlier. Mm. And since it doesn't have very much gravity, how do you stick to it? Scientists from the ESA decided that harpoons and screws would probably be the order of the day. Because, of course, if you harpoon something, you can drag yourself onto it, even if the comet kind of refuses to pull you down. And then you can screw yourself into it so that you don't drift off if you get hit by something.
1: Oh, well, that's right. I mean, especially not only at the start, but also later on as things change and... Uh, and the surface starts to melt, you really want to make sure that you're well-secured. Otherwise, you're going to face a lot of problems. you become part of the tail. That's, that's right. <laughs> so I guess the harpoon does make sense in order to uh, capture yourself there. So what did they do with this lander, and what were they trying to study by using a lander? Why land at all?
0: Well, as, as good as our instruments are, it's very difficult to work out what is actually happening on the surface if you don't go down and pick up bits of the surface and burn it and... Poke it and see what it does. It's
1: also really hard to actually know what's underneath the surface layer if you can't uh, pierce it from the buff So if there's any sort of covering, no camera from a distance is going to help you solve that mystery unless you actually get in there, start scraping through, and see what's going on.
0: Uh, and that's what Phil has been able to do. It it went down with things like just cameras, so we can actually get close-ups of what's down there. You know, as, as good as an orbit fifty kilometres away is actually being there is still much clearer. It also has you know various sampling and drilling. System so that it can pick up soil samples and drill down it even a bit to get to some deeper ones and try and work out what's going on. Mm. Of course, that's all great in theory. However, there was one factor that they weren't quite considering.
1: Is that is that, that the ice itself was incredibly difficult to drill yeah, through?
0: The, the fact that I, that nobody had quite considered that the surface would be quite so strong. So when they tried to land Philae on the surface, uh, the, the harpoons didn't work. And when they finally did get it down after it almost bounced completely clear off it. When they did finally get it down, the screws also didn't work. And then when they tried to drill, the drill barely worked. And a lot of that stuff has basically taught us a lot about just how tough comets really are.
1: Oh, and, that's, and this gets to one of the really fascinating parts about space exploration. So with the NASA Apollo missions um, to land on the moon, the first missions they did, so you know, Apollo 11 was the one that actually landed on the surface of the moon. The rest were just practicing orbiting and all that kind of stuff. But to, when they actually were going to land on it, they didn't know what was going to happen when they landed. They had some good ideas, but they had a serious fear that the lander itself Um, would be so heavy that it would actually sink into the really fine sand on the surface of the moon and get stuck like in quicksand fortunately, that is not what happened, but they had no way of telling uh, before they actually landed whether that would be the case. And they just had to design, assuming that that might happen at some point and come up with a plan in case it did. And the same thing happened with all of the space missions that we go on. We, we make the best plans that we can with the information at the time. But until you really get up close and personal, you don't know if your harpoon is going to stick or if your drill is even going to work.
0: And that's, and that's certainly information that the scientists will take away for the next time we decide to go to, go to a comet. That's right. Use a bigger drill.
1: <laughs> Use a bigger and more powerful drill and work on your landing so it doesn't bounce quite so far.
0: We actually got quite, quite lucky with that. The, um, rate, the rate at which it rose was just about 10% less than escape velocity. So if it had been going a little bit faster, it would have bounced completely off the surface and just never come back. And they were actually really concerned
1: about firing the harpoons and fire and using the drill because they weren't even sure if using that would be enough to actually launch it and make it bounce again. So as Newton's third law states, for every reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction. And if you're doing that on the surface of a comet with a very low gravity, just pushing slightly can be enough to actually get you pushed off. So that's why they, you know, did have to have harpoons in the first place, but why they were not even sure if it would work hundred percent anyway.
0: Yeah, for, for 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 a measure of um, human interaction, you could put if you jumped on Philae, you'd pretty much leave its. If you jumped on fillet, you would leave its surface and yeah. not come back.
1: And uh, that's uh, certainly something that you have to be concerned about. Even especially when considering the Philae lander is only about the size of a washing machine, so not very big in size either. Um, now, what do they hope to discover by using this drill? What were they trying to find out?
0: They were trying to look below the, the immediate surface into that, that, that lower layer under, under, the, under, the, under the dust. And I believe what they were looking for was signs of any sort of, mo- any sort of interesting molecules that might be there. So this just seems to be anything that we do pretty much wherever we go. We want to have a look at what's there and we want to know, is there, are there any complicated organic molecules, for example, like the ones that later developed into life on Earth? Because we want we want an idea of you know are we the only people or are we the only planet that has these complex molecules did they come to us from comets are they common and the only way we can really do that is by sticking a drill down into lower layers where molecules like that won't be disturbed or blown off by space and analysing them and seeing what's there.
1: Um, so what did do they manage to actually drill at all and find any samples before Philae um, met its untimely end?
0: Before it ran out of power, I believe they did drill some depth in. However, I don't think it was as far as they wanted. And I believe they're still analysing the data that they got. So whether or not there was enough time to find what they were looking for may take some time to discover. Yes, yeah, so the initial results are saying that they did find some
1: organic molecules. Um, but uh, the data is being analysed by the DLR German Aerospace Centre, who are the people who were in charge of the drill. And uh, they are you know, analysing this massive amount of information that they got back. And it's also possible that more information is still residing on the lander itself. It just didn't have enough power necessarily to transmit it all. So what they're hoping is that that they might get some more information out of it, and they want to go through fully all the data that they received before making any announcements. But they did have um, some initial success in finding, and they've reported as much, some complex molecules. Whether or not they're carbon or not, we'll have to wait and see. But that's certainly one of the most fantastic parts about this. The drill did manage to work, and they did manage to find something. Uh, We're just not quite sure what that is yet, Um, which means that the mission, for the most part, as the lander is concerned, despite all its calamities that it faced, was still a success.
0: I think that says a lot about the perseverance of one, one small little washing machine and a whole lot of people in Europe. And it's, and that's right. We, we still manage to achieve great
1: things despite facing enormous difficulties along the way. Um, and that is that is really one of the amazing parts about space travel. Everyone talks about how difficult and complicated it is, but this amazing engineering that goes into it so with such levels of redundancy and planning Despite so many things going wrong, it can still work out well. So what does the future hold for both the Filet Lander and the Rosetta mission?
0: So the Rosetta mission was always planned to continue past, Phil, past, well, regardless of whether or not Philae worked. So it's going to continue orbiting the comet as the comet comes closer to the Earth and closer to the sun, more to the point to observe the change from a cold lump of rock into this great thing with a huge tail of of water vapor behind it and what have you. So that's what it'll be doing. It'll be watching as it comes closer to the sun, and it will then follow right through until it drifts away from the sun, at which point the mission's scheduled to end, and I suspect Rosetta will power down uh, once it gets far enough out from the sun that it no longer has enough power to sustain its batteries.
1: Yeah, and uh, given that the comet itself has about a six-year orbit, there is a chance, again, that. If it's in a safe state, it may actually reawaken itself as it goes through. But generally, they put these things into a a deep sleep once they've completed their main function and just observe if anything new or they've switched on if they have enough power to do so. Um, The fact that it's actually going at the closest point, um, the perihelion, uh, the closest approach part to the sun... Uh, means that although Filet is sitting in a, a shadow right now, which means it's not getting enough sunlight to power its batteries, as it gets closer and the thing starts to melt or rotate, we may actually see some sunlight onto the probe, which might give it enough to actually start sending signals again. So we'll have to wait till probably August 2015 um, to find out whether or not that will work, but uh, it would be hopefully another chance to hear from the plucky lander Filet and the Rosetta space mission.
0: In conclusion, the spaceship has really had quite a long, amazing journey and has taught us a lot already. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next six months, 12 months and 18 months as it continues to follow the comet 67P around the solar system. So hats off to the people at the ESA. You've really done an incredible job here.
1: And for all of you who's wondering about why did we bother going to a comet in the first place, the total mission... Across all of Europe, cost 1.4 billion euros, which is about the same as uh, 4.2 Airbus A380 aircraft, so those double-decker fancy aircraft. But you know, that's not landing on a comet for the first time. And so, for the cost per person between the uh, the years of planning and building and journey, is about uh, three euro fifty in total. So about twenty euro cents a year. <laughs> now, that three dollars, three euro fifty um, for an amazing Uh, achievement of engineering and science compared to 8 euro 50 to go see interstellar i know certainly which one i'm more thankful for
0: this has been the young scientists of australia's podcast lagrange point
1: this week we cover just exactly how you harpoon a comet what you could possibly hope to learn by harpooning a comet and why on earth you would want to go to a comet in the first place by looking at the fantastic rosetta mission and the filet lander
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of Australia.